Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student. Gwydi have begun a murder investigation following the discovery of a man's body in a flat in Dublin's north inner city. It's believed the remains may have lain there for several days and the victim met his death violently. Gardy were called to the scene last Monday evening just before 6.30 and when they went into the property they found the remains of Tony Dempsey lying on the floor in a room covered in either blankets or clothes. It appears that he sustained serious head injuries which the Gardaí say are consistent with having been violently assaulted. His body was found lying on the ground inside near a bed decomposing for more than a week. People were living and sleeping there during that time. And it's not clear whether the people who were in the flat at the time were aware that he had been dead in that room for quite some time. Gardy over the course of the day, uh, conducting a number of examinations that seen behind me, which remain sealed off. A number of guards have also been uh, conducting uh, door-to-door inquiries, knocking around, asking uh, neighbours and locals what they have heard and seen. In This is In The News from The Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. Today, I speak to Irish Times reporters Connor Lally and Jade Wilson about how this can happen in a busy flat complex and the story behind the tragedy. Connor, can we maybe start with the murder victim? Who was Tony Dempsey? Yeah, Tony Dempsey was a 28-year-old man originally from Inchicore. He had quite a troubled background in the sense that he, you know, he grew up in a very tough household. Um, his father had spent uh, time in jail and um, Tony himself had been in and out of care quite a large number of times as a, as a child. There was evidence while he was up in court um, a few years ago that he had been placed in care 10 times during a 10 year period when he was a kid. And really, when he graduated out of the care system, if you like, he from that point then he kind of got involved in crime. He was in and out of youth detention and then adult prisons really for the vast majority of his life. So, as I say, somebody from a kind of a troubled, tough background who then really, you know, ended up in the prison system and had been in and out of jail really for the last 10 or 12 years. So he would have obviously come from this very chaotic childhood into adulthood. I mean, there was certainly evidence. Um, there was evidence in a court case when he was only in his early 20s that um, at that stage he'd had 28 previous homes. So he had a very transient lifestyle. Really, once he got involved in crime, he got involved in drug taking and so on. And I suppose once that spiral kicked in for him, he really led a life of chaos from that point. He, you know, spent time in homeless hostels. He spent time in flats and so on. Mm. Um, and obviously the problem for people like Tony Dempsey is once you are in and out of prison on a regular basis, your life becomes very unstable. You don't have any opportunity to, you know, put down roots anywhere. You're kind of in society, out of society. And when that keeps going on, you know, your life goes downhill very quickly. There's a lot of access to drugs, obviously, both inside prison and obviously outside. And that's really the life that he led for the last 10 years or so. And that was the complexion, really, of his life when he was killed, we think, about two weeks ago. Can you tell me a little bit about the circumstances in which his body was found? 
Yes, so his remains were found in a flat in Kevin Barry House on Coleraine Street in the North Inner City. Now, this flat was occupied by a tenant who had been previously homeless. Uh, she was a female tenant and she was placed there by the Peter McVerry Trust, which, you know, helps um, people who've been homeless and drug users. It helps them try and end their homelessness. She was placed in that flat about a year and a half ago. It appears that her tenancy went quite well for the first period of time. Then she lost control over, you know, who was accessing her flat. And it appears that a lot of the people that she knew who were, you know, homeless people and also drug users, they began calling up to the flat and there was people coming and going at all hours. The flat really turned into from a, you know, what should have been a kind of a stable home for her. It turned into a, you know, halfway house and a drug den. And Gardy believed that Tony Dempsey was one of the people who was, you know, calling in and out of that flat to go drinking there and also to take drugs there. So it's important to stress that she's not a suspect in the murder. She's absolutely not. I mean, this would be quite a vulnerable person. And really, she was overrun in the flat, lost control of it. She's now out of the property and the guards, you know, don't think she had any involvement Mm. whatsoever. Now, anybody who's familiar with the North Inner City where this body was found, like the, the flat complex is very well maintained. You know, so would it be unusual for something like that to unfold in in a flat complex? Because, you know, if you drive past it today, there's flower boxes outside a lot of the windows. It it looks like a, as I say, a very well-maintained place to live. No, it absolutely is. And indeed, the flat that Tony Dempsey was killed in, um, you know, it had recently been renovated. So it was... You know, it's a very well-maintained area, but the problem really is with some of these tenancies is that when people who have been previously homeless are placed in these flats, they still know the people that they were on the streets with. You know, they still know people that they took drugs with when they were homeless. And very often when word gets out that a person has a flat or has a house, it becomes a popular calling spot. And if the person who has the tenancy isn't kind of strong enough to keep, you know, control of the door of of the uh, property, they can lose control very quickly. And, you know, regardless of where the house is or if it's a new, you know, uh, house or apartment or, you know, where it is, if these tenants are unable to keep control of access to their own home, things can go downhill very quickly. And you can kind of see how it might happen because, you know, as you say, she might have friends who started calling around and then her friends would bring their friends around. And then before you know it, it would become kind of a free for all. This really is the problem. You know, she was a woman who herself was vulnerable um, had spent a lot of time on the streets, you know, had been homeless for a long period of time. When she finally got this flat from the Peter McVerry Trust, this should have been a new start for her. And for a while it was, but then obviously things went out of control And really, once word spreads that a person who has a, you know, new house Mm. or a new flat is an easy target and that word spreads pretty quickly. And then obviously, if you have homeless people who, you know, don't have anywhere to go, they want to go to, you know, a place that's dry and warm to drink alcohol or take drugs and a vulnerable person um, who's in a property, you know, they can lose control of that uh, very fast. Now, you you mentioned that the house was being managed by the Peter McVerry Trust. 
So what has it said about this tragedy? And have any questions been asked about how it was possible that a body would lie undiscovered in a flat under its control for so long? Yeah, so what happens with the Peter McVerry Trust is they run a scheme with the council and they basically get council houses and council flats and they try and place their, you know, clients in there. Now, once the clients are placed in a flat or a house, the tenancy is pretty much controlled by that person. The Peter McVerry staff will, you know, call in and out and they will do various check calls and so on. But really, it is up to the actual tenant to, you know, take care of themselves and to try and keep control of the property. Now, what we know is that staff from the Peter McVerry Trust were, you know, pretty regular callers to the flat to check on the tenant. Now, just the weekend before Tony Dempsey's uh, remains were found, and actually while he was dead inside, staff from the Peter McVerry Trust did call in to do a check call on the flat. And even though they were in the property, they were completely unaware that Tony Dempsey was dead inside. So it's really not clear how they were unaware of this. Um, Mm. There were also a large number of people coming and going into the flat to take drugs, drink alcohol and so on over a long period of time. So whether they were unaware that his remains were there or that they were aware and they just nobody thought to raise the alarm, that's not really clear at the moment. And it might be too early in this investigation and indeed in this unfolding tragedy to answer this question. But I'm just wondering about how this tenant lost control of the property. Like that would presumably have unfolded in plain sight to both the residents in the flat complex and to the Peter McVerry Trust. And could anything have been done earlier to maybe help her to regain control? Or or is that kind of thing just does it just happen sometimes? I think the answer is sometimes it happens. The Peter McVerry Trust, they would deal with people who have, you know, very complex uh, needs. A lot of their clients would have alcohol problems, drug problems, would have been, you you know, homeless for quite some time. You know, a lot of them would have very little schooling, you know, poor rates of literacy and so on. So these would be vulnerable people. And once a charity begins to work with a cohort like that, you are going to have problems with X amount of that uh, group of people. And really what happens is you don't know how one of these vulnerable people is going to handle having their own property until they get that chance. Now, the Peter McFerry Trust basically says that about 85% of its clients that it places in their own properties, that everything works out okay, but about 15% of those tenancies don't work out. And unfortunately, the tenancy in this particular flat was obviously one of those. Jade Wilson, you've been writing a lot about this story in recent days, and I know that you've seen some of the complaints from neighbours. So what were they saying about what was going on in the flat over recent months? Yeah, so they had claimed that they'd made countless complaints to Dublin City Council about the flat going back as far as about 18 months ago. And that's when the tenancy began. So they claimed there were problems from the get go. Um, Most of the complaints they made were kind of repeated phone calls to the estate manager in the complex. But basically arising out of that, the council had sought a diary from 
some of the residents about incidents they'd witnessed uh, back in January. So they'd compiled this 11-day diary about what they'd witnessed and I got a copy of that. So they'd reported seeing people injecting drugs outside the flat. They'd overheard loud arguments and fights happening late at night at the flat where uh, Tony Dempsey was found dead a few days ago. Um, the diary included photographs of at least 16 different individuals entering and leaving the flat during the few days, which I suppose aligns with what detectives believe about drug users kind of coming and going mm. from the flat after the tenant there had lost control of the property. So they'd often hear shouting or arguing inside the house, a smell of weed. They'd be woken by parties happening until 5am or 6am. Um, there was one occasion during those few days when a woman had to intervene in a fight that had broken out outside the flat um, and they'd call guards on, on these uh occasions as well. So um, that diary entry of complaints was sent to the council on January 24th this year. So after that, the council and the Peter McVeary Trust, which was responsible for housing the tenant um, under Housing First, they had a meeting with the tenant to give kind of verbal warnings about what was happening. But the residents claimed that after that, nothing really changed and that staff who were coming to do their checks on the tenant had told them allegedly that they were too intimidated to carry out the checks fully um so yeah and and it's worth noting as well that the residents had actually called the guards as recently as the 7th of september so just a few days before tony dempsey was found dead inside the flat they'd rang local guards to say that they could hear loud fighting going on inside and did you get a sense jade uh as to what was the reluctance of the peter mcvery trust or the council or indeed the guards to take any kind of measures over a period of 18 months against this tenant or to try and stop all of the the, the drug taking and, and, and the violence that was happening in the apartment or the flat? The Peter McVeary Trust had been since July this year um, encouraging this particular tenant to surrender the tenancy and to start a new one elsewhere, you know, as a as a fresh start. Um, but ultimately, you know, the tenant has has a legal right to hold on to or surrender the tenancy. So, Jade, you've spoken to former staff of the Peter McVeary Trust what have they told you about the job they were expected to do? Yeah, so I spoke to two former staff members who worked for Peter McFerry and they'd left because they'd worked under kind of difficult uh, conditions, they said. So one of them told me that even when staff members faced threats or violence, uh, there'd be little to no consequences for that. Um, this particular staff member said he felt that himself and colleagues were working in dangerous situations um, with far too big of a caseload put on them. He said they'd be asked to visit houses where they knew people were using drugs or, you know, there were other people there that were dangerous or maybe um, they'd carry out the inspection, but they wouldn't check all the rooms because maybe they'd have so many other people to visit over the weekend and just wouldn't have the time to, to carry all all of the checks out properly. Um, another staff member told me that the, the turnover rate at the trust was laughable because quite a lot of staff had been recruited at a very young age. You know, they'd just come out of college. Maybe they weren't fully equipped to deal with these kind of difficult situations. So when you put those stories to the Peter McFerry Trust, how do they respond? So they told me that staff were provided with comprehensive induction and ethos training, that they were fully aware of of the nature of the work, the complex and challenging nature of the work. And they said that they knew housing first and delivering that program could be extremely challenging as as this case has demonstrated, um, and that staff have access to other training modules as well, some of which have a third level 
qualification and that they have access for, to a framework for escalating complaints as well within the trust. But, you know, ultimately, uh, they said that their priority now was was to review this particular case and, and support affected staff and, and assist Gardaí. But ultimately, a lot of the time then it would simply come down to a couple of members of the trust having to effectively police a flat like this, which must be extremely difficult. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them told me they were just fed up, um, that they, they felt that their complaints they were making were falling on deaf ears. Um, you know, they, they'd been doing this for 18 months and actually a, a little bit further back than that because there are other housing first tenancies within the same complex that they've been having problems with for a few years. So, yeah, it's been a very difficult situation for them. So talk to me about uh, how the Peter McVeary Trust are operating here, because I would imagine that they're dealing with very complex situations and it can be very difficult for them. But they do have a pretty significant success rate. Yeah, it is. It is worth noting that the, the Housing First programme in particular has a, a very high success rate, both in Ireland and internationally at, at ending long term homelessness. So some of these people, you know, they've been maybe on the streets or homeless for as much as long as 15 years. Um, and they, they've come from extremely vulnerable backgrounds, extremely complex backgrounds, and they're entering into tenancies that are very successful in 85% of cases. It's done really well in the US and Finland and here. Um, but unfortunately, you know, some of them fail, uh, about 15% of them fail. And that is, that is a significant number, especially when, you know, neighbours are having to deal with really difficult situations as well, neighbours with children. Um, and, the, and the trust said that most of these 15% which fail are due to estate management issues. I'm not really clear on what that actually means, but... Um, they said that that can be really difficult to deal with because of the law around, you know, the, the tenant having the legal right to hold on to or surrender the tenancy. Um, so it can be really complex to deal with. Jade Wilson, thank you very much for talking to us. Connor, what about the people who are who are living in that flat complex? I mean, I, I'm, I would imagine they must be absolutely horrified and appalled that such a tragedy could happen on their doorstep. And it must have been also very difficult for them in the run up to this terrible discovery because they would have been living uh, next door to this house that had effectively become a, a hangout for uh, for homeless people and for drug takers. Yeah, certainly some of the people from the area have spoken uh, to journalists over the last week or so and they did complain that there were people, you know, coming and going from the flat at all hours, you know, 3am, 4am. And really, if you're an ordinary person who actually lives in that flat complex, you're trying to, you know, bring up your kids and so on, you know, this can have a very big detrimental impact on you. But I suppose the problem for those people is that the tenants that are placed in these properties, they're placed there by the council. So there's not a hell of a lot you can do. You can complain. But because these tenants are vulnerable people and there's a big effort being put in to try and take them off the streets, they are extended a long period of time to try and become stable and to try and, you know, handle their own home effectively. In the cases where these tenancies go wrong, really local people are often just left to endure a very tough time for quite a prolonged period of time. A detailed and meticulous forensic examination is continuing today at what is a difficult and challenging crime scene. The investigation is obviously ongoing, but do we have any indications at this stage as to what motive might have been behind the murder? 
Yeah, well, Gardy believed that Tony Dempsey was a drug user and he was a heavy drinker. And they believe he went to this flat to, you know, basically join in sessions there. And they suspect that there was some drug-fueled row or drug-related row in the apartment. He was assaulted. He sustained uh, serious head injuries and he died at the scene. So what the guards are trying to do now is they're really trying to established who was in the flat when he was killed. And I suppose from that point on, then they have been interviewing people that he, you know, friends of his and so on. And they're just trying to establish who he was with at the time, you know, who last saw him alive. And if anybody saw him having a row with anybody in the flat, I think they're quite confident that they will solve the crime. When you're dealing with a group of people like this, who are, you know, homeless or who are, you know, very heavy drug users, an investigation can be quite chaotic, but I think the guards are fairly confident they will establish who killed Tony Dempsey. And I suppose finally, it, it, like, will it be more difficult for them because the crime scene obviously wasn't preserved? Uh, he, he died many days before the body was found. Will that make it more difficult for the investigation to, to follow its course? It certainly will because um, the guards really don't know how many people were actually in and out of the room while his remains were there. Now, normally in a homicide inquiry, the alarm is raised straight away. The scene is sealed off. And when the Garda Technical Bureau then goes in to to, uh, carry out their examinations, really they have got quite a secure scene to examine. The problem with this particular killing is that there was a very large number of people in and out of that room, certainly in and out of that flat for at least a week after he died. So it wasn't a secure scene. That is a much more complex situation for the guards to analyse. But having said that, the guards are also fairly confident that people who knew Tony Dempsey are aware of who killed him. And they really are hopeful that, um, you know, those people will come forward and will help them solve the crime. Conor Lally, thanks very much for talking to us. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Declan Conlon. We'll be back on Wednesday.